Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. This week, I'm very excited to be joined by Marlena Gross-Taylor. Marlena is a former administrator at the elementary, middle, and high school levels, national presenter, blogger, consultant, social commerce leader, founder of Edu Gladiators, and newly appointed district ed leader. Marlena, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to share with your group. And Marlena, as you know, the show is centered on leadership development. I would love to hear your personal leadership journey on how you became an administrator. (laughs) That is a very fun topic. (laughs) I have not entered education in a traditional sense. Actually, I did not enter this world in a traditional sense. And I think that has kind of set the stage for me being divergent in that. So I come from a long line of educators, as I would say, probably many teachers and leaders that are listening in. My mom was a former middle school principal, and I remember growing up and telling her after spending many, many, many days and afternoons in her office, I would never be a teacher, much less a principal and a middle school principal at that. I remember telling my mom as respectfully as you can, especially being a Southerner, you are crazy doing this, right? So she takes great pleasure in laughing at me um, of my choice now because What I didn't realize then and what my mom, I think, saw in me all along is that I want to make an impact with kids. And uh, and I really believe in that. So when I decided to become a teacher after having my own children, I had perspective and I wanted to be involved, not just in an involved parent, but I wanted to be involved in what education looked like and make sure that I wasn't missing anything and I wouldn't honestly just screw up my kids' education and be a good parent in that way but then also be a part of the solutions um, should I come across any problems that I thought were problems or challenges. So that started my journey into education. So my undergrad is in psychology from LSU, specializing though in clinical adolescent psychology. When I decided to be a teacher and to make a difference, I remember my first day of school, um, I became very, very nervous. I called my mom right before the bell bring to let the kids in. And I said, what did I do kids? And she said, you just teach them and you love them as as they're your own and the rest will take care of itself. And that's exactly what I did. And that's exactly what happened. So as I became more comfortable as a teacher, of course, leadership opportunities presented themselves and others saw that leadership trait in me before I think I was ready to acknowledge that. And so what I am is a student always, continuously. And so I listen to those around me. I try to surround myself around people that were not only great teachers, but that I admired about their character. So when these types of folks said, you know what, you need to be a leader, you need to be a principal, I listen and I ask to shadow and to learn and and just tell me what, what are some of the pathways to get there. And so I followed those pathways to having my own leadership experience of being Uh, Like you mentioned earlier, an administrator at the elementary was my first gig, then at the high school and then returning back to the middle school because I was a middle school teacher before jumping into uh, now my second district leadership position. And so looking back in your preparation to become an administrator, what was one of the most impactful experiences you had to enhance your skills as a leader? 
Well, I think the psychology degree, first of all, helped me uh, in more ways than I could ever anticipate because just the study of psychology and relationships and, and human development, how our mind works, how we interact with each other, I think was key not only in helping me build relationships with my students, but also with adults, with my colleagues around me and being able to sometimes talk some of them off the cliff if they were passionate about something or maybe their day wasn't going well, to being able to inspire them through my actions or through our conversations to be a better version of themselves, especially for their kids. So I think having that psychology background, you didn't have to convince me about the importance of relationships or how to really navigate those. It was really just a matter of learning the education side of curriculum, uh, which I love, and also just general leadership skills, just to be a better leader. And even through that, you know, if you click on my Twitter, my pinned post is something that I think has kind of defined my leadership. It's really not about me as the leader. It's really not about me showcasing what I can do. It's not about me bragging what I can do, whether deservingly or not. It's really about how I empower other people, how I empower other leaders with that leadership title or uh, those without that leadership title, because leadership is a journey. It's really not about the title. And it's really not about me, because if I can't help others become leaders in their own right, in their own space, whatever that looks like, then I don't consider myself a very good leader. In your transition from a teacher to an administrator, what was your biggest misconception as you began your experience? Well, I think there's this natural misconception of us against them, teachers against principals. Principals don't understand, you know, that's normally the teacher's response. And then a principal's response, gosh, if our teachers only knew the bigger picture. You know, a lot of times I think we think that it's easier to make decisions, that we have more power or more control as we move up the leadership ladder. In actuality, I think we have less control. I think we have less power, but we have a greater opportunity to inform and really participate in a more shared leadership model so others can be a part of the journey. And so as an AP transitioning to a principal, what was the most difficult part of being the campus leader? I think probably the balance between uh, time with family, with my own personal family, because as the AP, you know, my day was primarily about books, butts, and buses, you know, the operational side, discipline. Um, Now, I did stretch myself quite a bit because I knew I didn't want to stay in just that realm. I did not want to be one dimensional and only dealing with the operational side. So I I actively sought out opportunities to build my capacity as an instructional leader and really diving deep into curriculum and instruction and just the teaching and learning process or cycle from an administrator's point of view and supporting that. But when I became the lead principal, it was definitely it was definitely an adjustment on my time. My day was never my own, and uh, and I had to come in either come in earlier to get some of the operational things done, or stay late. And even and I, I'm not ashamed to admit it because I know I'm not the only one. I would try to find that quiet time. So oftentimes I would come in on Sunday afternoons because living in the South, you know, Sundays are super sacred in the Bible Belt. But that was my time after I've been to church and and lunch with the family to just have some quiet time and think and and get things done. But what ended up happening, Joshua, is that my teachers started to learn my pattern 
And they would come in because they knew they could also get to me without me being super distracted because I had a full calendar or a thousand people pulling me in different directions. And so where at first I was a little irritated, like, gosh, can I have just a moment to just think to myself? I had to step back and and realize that if a teacher is coming in on a Sunday to probably also get a few things done, but to ask questions or to get my advice or thoughts on a particular, you know, subject or, or challenge, then I've done my job as a leader of building that relationship because they feel comfortable enough to do that. And I would never want to stop anyone from growing. So I really started looking at that as, well, here's another opportunity to pour into people. So let me fill that chocolate on my desk in my little desk candy tray, because, you know, even on Sundays, I really value that time to connect with people. It almost felt like you were not even in a school building, even though, you know, we were in my office because it was it was a Sunday. It was a different atmosphere, different environment. So how did you find success in not only changing campuses, but changing levels of education? So I think it's really important to understand, and I really think every administrator should do this. You know, most education licenses say K-12, yet we tend to stay in the arena that we taught in. And for me, it was middle school, even though my certification for teaching was elementary and middle. I purposely wanted to jump into administration at the elementary level because I had my own myths about what happened in elementary. And I wanted to see where did our kids really start from? Did they really sleep all day or play outside for recess all day? You know, and I know it sounds silly, but so many secondary people, you know, hold on to those same myths. And so I wanted to see where kids started from, because I think that's incredibly important. And when I would move to the different levels, I would take those nuggets of expertise with me from the other levels that I might have served in. And I helped the teachers to implement some of those strategies in their classrooms, no matter if it was a high school or middle school or vice versa, you know, some high school, middle school things down to elementary, but I would help them implement that. And they began to have a more comprehensive view of the child. They stopped seeing their students just at the grade level that they had them, but really started seeing their students from an entire K-12 perspective. And it really helped teachers, no matter what level they were, find ownership in that child's educational journey. So when we look at high school and those ACT scores being so high, like we even did crosswalks, let's look back when those kids learned these skills and how important it is to learn those skills that were in elementary and build upon it in in middle school and then uh, even more so in high school. So it really helped build a, a better sense of community, being able to share that perspective because I would have ideas that would be seemingly new to that building level, but really, It was because I was at a different level. And then I could also connect teachers to other teachers in those other schools that I had served in and partner them to um, really take a look and, and model what they were doing and even observe what they were doing in those settings. So in your experience, which leadership skills were the most difficult to develop? Mm, Patience. Is that a skill? (laughs) It's definitely a trait. (laughs) I honestly think patience was it because because of my experience, because I had I had already been through the whole K-12 spectrum at some level in some capacity. Patience is a virtue. And it was something that I had to constantly self-regulate because sometimes you have to go slow to go fast. 
And I think that's a hard lesson for leaders to learn, uh, especially when, depending on where you are, what state you are, what district you're in, if, if they're heavily test focused, if you're in a turnaround situation in your school or district, it could be tough having those different, those different external components to help you learn patience. I attribute being a principal, much like being a college football coach. You know, generally you have three years, not three to five, even though we know that systemic change uh, really starts taking root at year five. But principals generally have three years to make their mark, to show that they're successful. And that's not a lot of time when you're dealing with 25 to 30, depending on how big your school is, 40, 80, 90 uh, staff members, and anywhere from five to 2,000 children. And looking back, what was your greatest trial, which led to an important leadership lesson as an administrator? In that quest to uh, make an impact in that three years, particularly my first time where I was the lead principal, even though I knew how important it was to empower, even though I tried my best to share share duties, leadership duties among my staff, not just my assistant principals, but to also aspiring principals and administrators, which I think is super important. I had to really learn how to let plates fall. So if I gave a task to, it didn't matter if it was to my assistant principal or if it was to a teacher that was aspiring or or that just chose to take the mantle and and take a particular task. I had to give them room to make a mistake and not do it exactly how I would have done it or to just fail. That was hard for me because again, many principals are on the clock of that three-year mark of making that impact, show your success. I had to learn uh, very quickly how to let plates fall if they failed at a task, really valuing that time and helping them pick up the pieces and putting that plate back together again and sharing with them those leadership lessons that, that I did not have as a teacher. I did not have necessarily the best leaders. I learned a lot of what not to do as a leader And so I wanted to make sure that I was different. And so helping those folks pick up the pieces and learning from their mistakes and still valuing them and and that it's okay to fail, much like I wanted them to demonstrate in their classroom with that risk-taking culture, right? Um, Failure is a natural, organic process of learning. I had to make sure that I allowed those folks to do the same thing and then really be, be that barrier between them learning as the adult and central office and really speaking up for my for my teachers or my assistant principal like yep they made a mistake but we're working through it you know and just reminding those district office leaders do you remember your first year as a principal your first leadership task most of us failed miserably at some point including me and as an educational leader what is one area you wanted to change in education i wanted to change education from being an echo chamber to a true authentic learning experience for our kids. And so to me, that um, that breaks down into three parts. The first one being um, really thinking about how we can bring in a new era of engagement. How do we reach our kids in an authentic way? It is not about a test. Now, does that mean we don't want our kids to do well on tests? Because we do. They have to take the ACT or SAT. I mean, they're going to be tested all their lives. But we can't whittle down the beauty and the learning moments of education just for a test. We should be teaching through the test. The test should be the easiest thing that they do in a classroom or a school. So it was, how do we engage our kids in a new way? Bringing in technology, teaching them to have voice and choice. The second piece that I, that I endeavor to impact is also 
how do we bring in a new era of leadership? How do we train our retrain, our reset, the leaders that we have, the leaders that are coming up, the kids, how do we make them become leaders to bring in this new era? How do we have that cultural shift of leadership? For instance, when I was a principal, I had a uh, assistant superintendent tell me, well, Marlena, I just expect you to be at your school 24 hours. Like you can't just let just your assistant principals be at some of those events. And I really struggle with that because I have children of my own, you know, and I need that time. That's how I recharge and refresh. And so I remember him saying that. And he was like, when I was a high school principal, you know, I was at every event from start to finish. And our superintendent was there. And I remember telling my assistant superintendent, I said, he also had a heart attack. And he did. He had a heart attack the year before. I said, I'm trying to live. And so even speaking truth to power like that was huge for me. And I advocate all leaders, like you have to change that culture. And so I advocated for my teachers. We have a family-friendly environment because if my teachers are expected to do all these things, they can't pour from an empty cup. And I can't expect them, especially if they have families, to miss their kids' things to take care of other kids. You know, so we worked that out, especially since we had a our elementary school, which was connected on the same campus, and many of our ki- our uh, teachers' kids went to that elementary school or the feeder high school. Yes, even if it meant I came in and covered for your class so you can go make that mommy and muffins, you know, um, or dad and donuts, whatever it might be. Those are just life moments that you can't miss. So all that to say, leadership is the second thing that we totally have to rethink and bring in a new era. Our, Our principles and the research shows us they're burning out already. So we have to rethink that. And so many aspiring leaders are saying, I don't know if I want that. I don't know if I want to commit to that. So we have to rethink that. And then the third piece that I want to impact education with is advocacy. And that covers a multitude of areas from equity to advocacy for our profession, advocacy for our different groups that we serve. And we tend to focus so much on our kids that are struggling. What about our gifted kids too? Um, And then what about that middle? How do we get them to continue to elevate? How do we get kids to advocate for themselves to be better people? How do we get them to advocate and really leveraging that social emotional development to where they're supporting their peers. And when they see something is wrong, they're standing up and speaking out and helping. Um, How do we get them to be just incredible human beings? How do we get our students to be incredible human beings? And so the third piece that is truly the pillar of of my impact and and what I started Edge Gladiators for is that advocacy piece. And so when you're looking for aspiring leaders, what are some characteristics that you believe every leader should possess? The first thing I'll look for is they have to lead with grace. They have to lead with grace. And and by that, I mean, they can't be so gung-ho as their way is always the right way, or they're saying they're being collaborative, but what they're really saying is do what I say, and sometimes not as I do. So I'm looking for people that, of course, have a passion for education, but can do so with grace, because that letting plates fall, I think, is is a key pivotal piece of leadership that I think we need to move towards. Then also, I think what's most important is even if I find a person that that is leading with grace, they're they're compassionate. Do we have them in the right position? There's a lot of people in schools that say, I want to be a principal. But being a principal may not be the best fit for their leadership skills. So really taking time with aspiring leaders and talking to them about what is your dream? 
how do you want to impact education? Uh, I like to use the three pillars of Gladiators, even as, and I've always done that looking back as a guide, how do you see yourself impacting education in these three buckets, you know, in these three arenas? And then what are, helping them figure out what are the leadership opportunities in each of those three arenas? I think that we have a lot of principles that may, may be disillusioned by leadership because they may not be in the right spot. They may not be in the right position that truly takes advantage of their leadership skills. What is one initiative you've implemented on your campuses that you are extremely proud of? Hmm. There's been so many. Gosh, even though I'm 28 forever, that's a tough <laughs> one. I'd say, <laughs> I'd say probably the one that I am most proud of is our teacher mentoring program. So every district has, at least on paper, a new teacher or teacher mentoring program, right? And it normally consists of that first day, and I'm not judging, but I'm judging. It normally consists of that first back to school, all the new teachers are new to the district, have like two days and they're just bombarded with all of this new information that they're supposed to not only retain, but be able to function with throughout the rest of the school year. So one thing that I really prided myself on was making sure that teachers that were new to my building, that we had ongoing groups way before PLCs probably came to Tennessee or to that area. I'm a pastor's kid, so I thought of small groups, Mm kind of like in your churches, you know, have that small group concept throughout the year where you have these touch points with teachers and you're bringing in different folks, whether it's people within the building, maybe some outside support, depending on what might have been the challenges of the group, but making sure that they saw me as not just their evaluator, but as their coach. Like I'm here, I'm your biggest cheerleader. I'm your coach and cheerleader, you know, and having a sustained teacher mentoring program throughout the year for my building to address, of course, the big rocks that the district talked about, but maybe some nuances that were specific to our school was very helpful, I think. And I'm, I'm so proud of that. Uh, because it was so successful that in, in my last district, then I was asked to help participate and help organize or, or just contribute to the district-wide new teacher mentoring program. And so we have to start with what's best for kids. And, and if we start there and end there, everything in between works itself out. And I think if we can make sure that our teachers and our leaders are where they need to be with their skill set, whether it's in the classroom, whether it's as a, as a leader or both, that will help our kids. We know teachers are the biggest impact on student success. We know that. We know that. So we really have to put our money where our mouth is and really invest in people, not programs. And so if there's a teacher out there thinking about starting their leadership journey, what advice do you have for them? I would tell them, first of all, look at those three buckets and think about how do you want to impact education um, through engagement. And I, I probably see engagement as like that curriculum instruction piece through leadership by leading other adults in that engagement or through advocacy. And I think if they really drill down from those three, where do they see that they would like to plug in the most? And then also either having a mentor or some mentors or colleagues where they can ask now, if I wanted to do engagement, if I wanted to be a leader in that, what are some leadership opportunities or jobs or positions there? Once they identify what those jobs are, then find someone that is in those positions and 
just say, hey, I want you to be my mentor. I'm thinking about doing this for leadership in this area. And I would love to shadow you. I would love to have regular touch points with you. I would love to have you mentor me along the way. So that's what I would suggest first, because just like we want our kids to explore different career options and learning opportunities so they can figure out what in the heck they want to do in life, right? We have to give our aspiring leaders the same opportunity to to see what are the different areas because they don't know what they don't know if they already don't have a strong sense of what they want to be or if they, and I've had people say this, I want to be a principal. Tell me why. How do you want to impact kids? Because oftentimes I will share with them, well, have you thought about this leadership position? And they just didn't know that even existed. So anyone's following you on social media has seen the big news. Edu Gladiators is now a publishing company. How did that come to fruition? So I'm really excited about that. So yes, make sure you're following the Edge of Gladiators handle as well as as me on Twitter and Instagram. We're on Instagram as well. Facebook group, we have it all covered. What we are doing, we are publishing books. We have our first release in uh, at the beginning of 2019. So be on the lookout for a huge announcement about that. You know, when I started Edge of Gladiators, it started off as a hashtag. That's how it started. I was on another chat and I just added that hashtag. And so when it became a thing and then eventually I developed it into a company, one of the things I wanted it to be is more than a hashtag. And so that's actually one of our hashtags, hashtag more than a hashtag, putting action to what we are saying and inspiring. Hopefully our chats, we want to inspire each Saturday people to action. So now it's time to help them have some resources to inspire them to that action. So our books are centered around one of those three pillars of uh, a new era of engagement, of leadership, and of advocacy. I think that's going to be really special. We're going to have several voices that we are publishing that are very familiar to so many people, a few that might be new but that are worthy to be heard. They have a great message, a great story. And I'm excited to give a platform for these incredible educators, teachers, leaders, coaches, everything in between, a platform to help us with those three pillars of engagement, leadership, and advocacy. So with that, in addition to your admin position, you speak at conferences, blog, and you're very active on social media. How did you find your voice beyond your district? Interesting story. And I was actually just talking to uh, this person today. So in my in my district, when I was a principal, again, I was really just getting bogged down the patience piece. I was still learning the patience piece. And even though uh, the district uh, I was in was the highest performing in Tennessee, great people there, there were still some areas that needed attention. And there was very little room for error because being number one was very important to the leadership there. And so one thing that our superintendent did, which I will forever be grateful for, he made it a requirement because he was wanting to be, he was just getting onto Twitter. Twitter was making a comeback at that time. And he made a requirement that all of his administrators, all of his principals have a school Twitter account. And so I had Twitter because my kids had Twitter. So anything they have, I have, you know, so I'm still a mom and just make sure everything is, is where it needs to be. <laughs> oh yeah. And, uh, but I never thought of it as a educational piece, much less a professional development piece for me and building my PLN. So I started that, I heard about these Twitter chats. I'm like, how do you even do that? I wasn't familiar with hashtags. And one Saturday I said, you know, I'm gonna wake up 
And after I feed the kids, I am going to get on Twitter and I'm going to figure this out. That happened to be the first Saturday of the lead up chat with Jeff Veal and Nathan Lang that started that. And so I am part of the inaugural crew, the core group of lead up. I didn't know what in the heck I was doing. (laughs) All I knew was, hey, I know some things I can contribute. And once one of the, I think it was Bethany Hill, explained to me, like, how do I reply back so everybody could see my answer? I joined that chat. And by the end of that hour, I was transformed. I was connected. I was exposed to ideas, even though my travels had brought me to many places and I had experienced and worked in many educational systems. It paled in comparison to the connections and the resources and the ideas that I had from that chat. And I was just telling Jeff Veal today, that started my pathway to being a connected educator. And when I decided to leave my district, because I was speaking, I was speaking quite a bit. Uh, When I went to my superintendent to let him know of this opportunity, and I had a a great partnership with uh, AMLE, Association of Middle Level Educators, I said, I'm going to take advantage of this. And he said, I've been watching you on the sidelines. So he was watching like all my tweets, right? He said, and I saw that you were growing faster than what we could keep up. Hmm. And so I think by being connected, it takes you out of your self-imposed silos that are your district because it's so easy to get caught up into just what you're doing. So being connected really opens the world because most people don't travel to multiple states like my family has had to do with my husband's job. Most people don't travel. They live and grow up in the same state, you know, maybe one other state. And I've had the the pleasure of, of following him along and being in about four states. Colorado is our fifth state now. And so most people don't have that experience. So just because you don't, haven't physically been there or worked in these different districts, doesn't mean that you can't connect with someone who's there and share ideas and make those connections. Plus, it makes going to conferences a whole lot of fun when you have those face-to-faces with people that you've connected with over social media. And in closing, what is the most enjoyable aspect of leadership? I think the the best part for me is seeing the folks that I have had the pleasure of mentoring or leading achieve their dreams, whatever that is, whether it's another leadership position where it might be something if they're in the classroom that they've achieved you know, whatever their goals were in the classroom, that makes me happy. And what makes me honestly the happiest of all is when those folks are my former students. When my former students reach out, I just had a a Facebook message from one of my students from my first year as a teacher. And she messaged me, she found me on Facebook and, and she's an adult, has her own family, just beautiful family. And she messaged me and said, Miss Taylor, I don't know if you remember me, but you made such an impact on me in eighth grade that I've chose to go along this path in my life. And she talked about all the incredible things she's doing, her career, but then finding balance with her family because I stress that so much about how important being connected to family and friends uh, really is. And so that never gets old. To me, that shows that I've helped the very people that we're here for in this business when we can help our kids find their voice, that's what leadership is about. That's what being an educator is about. That's what is being an gladiator is about to me. And how can our listeners connect with you on social media? You can follow me on Twitter at mgross, G-R-O-S-S, Taylor. You can find me on Twitter. 
You can also find me at mgtaylor29 on Instagram. You can follow me on Facebook as well, Marlena Gross Taylor. You'll see my, my page there. So I would love for you to follow me. You can also connect with not just me, but also the other core warriors of Edge of Gladiators. We have some incredible core warriors because I would not want to do this by myself. It's much more fun when you have friends, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can follow us on Edge of Gladiators. You can visit our website, Edge of Gladiators handle for Twitter, for Facebook, for Instagram. And then we just started, Joshua, a new community on Facebook called The Arena where we have even deeper conversations about those three areas and where uh, folks are sharing and putting faces and voices to, to folks. And it's just really fun. Please continue to check out the Aspire podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and share your ratings and reviews. Don't forget to use the Aspire lead hashtag as you continue the conversation on Twitter. Marlena, thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you for having me. This has been really fun. <laughs>